You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Okay, so we this morning are uh, taking a little bit of a um, uh, digression off of chapter 31 of the Confession, which was uh, a couple weeks ago we were on that. It was the, the, ta- the title was of uh, synods and councils. It was laying out some of the, our, our principles of church government. And we've looked at these principles, which we'll very, very, very briefly review in a moment. Um, and we're going to say, okay, how do we apply these principles in our particular context in the Presbyterian Church in America? And so that's our, um, our goal in this hour is to say these theological principles, what does it look like on the floor, on the ground level? What uh, do members should, how should members uh, think of the PCA and understand the PCA? What are your rights in the PCA? And so we will talk about these things this morning. Uh, last, last Sunday school ended with a question uh, from Jim Lunsford that I said we'll put off till or, for next time. I don't see him here this morning, so I'm going to put it off again for next time. Um, and uh, we will um, maybe answer it then. So we are on chapter 31. Again, we'll go through my resources, these general resources that will all talk about um, church government. Generally, they're not going to get in the weeds of what we're talking about today. Uh, so a couple resources for you. I mentioned this one last time. Um, this is just such, such a good book. I cannot highly recommend it enough. It is so practical for every church member to think, what is the church? What's the purpose of the church? Why are we here? Then it goes through some of the things we're talking about today. Government, structure, uh, why all these things are important. And it's very, very good. Guy Waters, How Jesus Runs the Church. I'll pass that around again. And then the other resource is the beautiful book called The Book of Church Order. that goes through, and some would say in excruciating detail, I would say in lovely detail, um, how all these things work. We're not making it up as we go uh, as a session of Redeemer Church. Uh, we have a book that helps us as far as process, procedure, what we should do. It doesn't tell us um, the decisions to make or anything like that, but it gives us a process. And uh, we'll go through some of that today. This is very good. You can get it for free online. Um, so if you can't fall asleep at night, this would be a great resource. People say it puts them to sleep. Other people say say it's a great devotional resource. Uh, I don't know. Um, but it is a really, uh, really helpful guide um, uh, to understand what's going on here in the PCA. Um, I won't pass this around. Um, I don't want my copy uh, dirtied in any way. I'm just kidding. Um, now, I, I am, I, I'm known as the BCO guy. So this is my book of church order, BCO. Um, and I'm happy to take that title. Um, our presbytery needs a little bit of help with it, as I may talk about later. Um, and so I'm the guy that often tries to help. Maybe everybody hates me for it, but I try to help our presbytery with these things. Um, our session is very good. Very thankful for them that they care about this stuff. All right. So what's going on? Um, for, let's talk about generally forms of church government. Uh, how are different churches run and set up? And if you've been in different church contexts, you come to Redeemer and say, oh, this is probably different from what uh, you're used to. So the first um, form is congregational. And that means all church power vests in autonomous local congregations. So if anything is going to happen, the congregation gets together and has a vote. 
And maybe they'll delegate some of that authority to elders uh, or to deacons or something like that. But ultimately, the buck stops with the congregation. The congregation gathers and meets. The congregation does church discipline. The congregation is over everything. And um, this is uh, Baptist churches, right? This is Congregationalists, uh, Quakers. Um, Some non-denominational people are in this camp. Usually non-denominational is kind of a hybrid of of a couple different models um, we'll speak of in a moment. Uh, But we see this congregational, independent kind of church everywhere. So that's one form. Uh, The second form is called Episcopal government. And this is where church power, governing church power, vests in individual officers. So you have a priest or a rector at the local level. You have a bishop over the area. You have an archbishop. You have all these different levels. Um, The Roman Catholic Church is prime example of this. And then you have the pope at the top who can tell anybody what to do anywhere in the Roman Catholic Church. I'm oversimplifying, but that's the gist of it. The authority vests in individual officers. And then we have, so uh, Roman Catholic Church, Church of England, so Anglican, Episcopalian. This is their church government. And then there's Presbyterian. Uh, This is where governing church power vests in courts of elders elected by congregations. And we're going to unpack all of that as we go through um, because we are Presbyterian. And uh, and so what we see here are, are courts Instead of an individual saying, hey, you must do this, we have courts who are overseeing individual, uh, overseeing churches. And we have a large court of our entire denomination that oversees all of our presbyteries. And uh, so it is courts, not individuals, who are exercising authority. And the PCA is an example of that. Um, and there are hybrid church governances out there. So, for example, I think of non-denominational churches. Oftentimes, you may have heard of Moses model of leadership. Uh, and non-denominational churches sometimes will have a Moses model, which is basically Episcopalian um, without uh, appeal higher than the senior pastor of that congregation. So the senior pastor is the one who has the final say of anything in that church. So they're kind of Episcopalian, but on a micro level, uh, they just don't have the connectionalism to other churches. So there's different ways. Uh, other churches will mix and match these forms of government to fit uh, what they think is best. Uh, questions here, these big picture um, options out there? Okay. So we went over some principles of church government from the Westminster Confession of Faith over the, the previous you know, six or eight weeks, uh, and you may not have realized it. And I'm not going to go through all of these, but I just want to highlight a couple of them. One is this one. Um, local churches have, quote, rulers among them. That's the language of the confession. We would say elders, but it has a, a board of elders. It has a group of elders we call a session over each individual congregation. Uh, this is, think of First uh, Peter. 5, where he says, I exhort the elders among you to shepherd the flock of Christ. So uh, as a fellow elder, Peter says, I exhort the elders to shepherd the flock of Christ. So there's elders in the midst of the congregation, and they are called to shepherd and oversee each congregation. And then the next principle is that overseers and other rulers call assemblies that operate above the local level. So this is where synods and councils, church courts, higher courts, uh, are gatherings of these rulers, church rulers, elders, um, who uh, then have oversight over all those congregations under their care. And we have higher courts have authority to do certain things. um, And then this principle is the assemblies today may err uh, because they are filled with sinful men. 
So with these principles in mind, then how do we construct a, a full orb church governance? Because again, the confession doesn't lay this out in gory detail. Our, our book of church order does. And so we're taking these principles and then applying them and practically putting them uh, into, into practice. So how do we do that? First, uh, the offices in the PCA. And you've probably heard a lot of conversation about this recently because we have men being trained for these offices right now, and there will be an election in May. Uh, and we have two offices in the PCA. The first is the office of elder. Now, it gets confusing because we subdivide the elders. We call them two orders of elders. And the first is the ruling elder. And the ruling elder exercises joint authority in the government and spiritual oversight of the church. The ruling elder is a member of a congregation who is elected by that congregation to rule in that congregation, to exercise authority along with the other elders at that congregation. The other kind of elder is a teaching elder. So a teaching elder has the responsibilities of the ruling elder, plus has additional authority because there's additional training, there's additional um, gifting that we believe teaching elders need to have uh, to to preach and to administer the sacraments. And so the teaching elder is a ruling elder plus this teaching ability. So it's not like the language is a little confusing um, as if one rules, one teaches. Uh, They both rule and then the teaching elder is given special authority to teach and to administer the sacraments in addition to the ruling function. So those are our elders, or that is the elder, and the authority of these two orders, oh, one second, uh, the authority of these elders is the same. There's one man, one vote. There's no privileges of the teaching elder over the ruling elder. There's no preference or priority of one over the other. They sit together, uh, one man, one vote on, we'll talk about the session here. We'll talk about the different courts in a moment. Um, so these are Um, This is how we think about and practically how it works out that we have elders in the PCA. Yes. Yes. So both offices are ordained roles. And so um, you, uh, yeah, you are to be, to be ordained to either one of them. Um, Teaching elders and ruling elders are both ordained and the deacons we'll see is ordained as well. Um, So, People can preach in the PCA without being um, ordained to that, but I call it preaching with a little p. Some call it exhorting. Preaching Preaching with a capital P is this authorized proclamation. You are authorized by the church to preach. Teaching elders are authorized and can do capital P preaching. So are what we call licentiates. We can have people licensed to preach. Maybe they're going through training. Maybe it's a ruling elder. Uh, There's different people who can be licensed to preach. So that's preaching with a capital P. Um, But we can't have other people preaching and teaching in our churches with a lowercase p. But once that becomes regular, the presbytery is supposed to be involved and and to authorize people to do that regularly. Is that answering your question? Okay. Follow up there? No. Okay. Yeah, uh, so to be licensed, uh, in order to be licensed, there are four exams you have to take at the presbytery. They're actually the same. They're four of the seven exams you have to take for ordination. So it's all those minus uh, church history, minus sacraments, and minus, um, ah, you're testing me here. I can't remember. What's that? BCO. Are you sure? Okay, look it up. This is why I wanted to keep... Yeah, this is the chairman of our credentials committee of our presbytery right here. So he is the one to know. I'm not on that committee, so I don't need to know. Um, When you have the little P, is there oversight from the big P's? Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
So as, as we'll see, the session exercises authority over worship in the congregation. So the session is always overseeing what's happening, and it all is happening at the discretion of the session. So little, little p preaching or exhorting um, is, uh, is something authorized by the presbyter or by the session, and they have oversight over it. Um, yeah, good, good question. Linda. Yeah, we'll touch on this in a minute, but um, the ruling elder is ordained by uh, the session of his, of his church, and he does, there's no educational requirements. Um, he's, the biblical requirements are there. Um, character is the biggest thing. Um, they do have to have doctrinal awareness and understanding. They have to be able to teach. Um, doesn't necessarily mean publicly. I think that can mean privately as well. Um, all the biblical qualifications have to be met, and then the session examines and ordains them um, of a local congregation. Teaching elders um, are examined and ordained by the presbytery. Is this what you're getting at, Linda? Yeah. Uh, examined and ordained by the presbytery. Now, why is this? Um, is this because we think the Bible says you have to do it that way? No. Some Reformed uh, denominations, URCNA, I believe, uh, ministers, teaching elders, are members of the congregation as well. But in the PCA, they're members of the presbytery, and they are examined and ordained by the presbytery. We do this for pragmatic reasons. I shouldn't say pragmatic. It has a negative connotation. For practical reasons, um, because we do think um, maybe pooling the theological resources of the presbytery better equips them to examine and ordain and oversee the work of teaching elders better than a local session can do that. Um, and it has more outside input, which we like. All right, All let's, right. let's give it to us. I do stand corrected. In order to be licensed to preach, you need to provide a written sermon. You have to preach a sermon before all of Presbytery. Uh, you're examined on your Christian experience, explanation of your inward call, theology exam, Bible content, Bible content exam, and then church polity, which is the PCO. In order to be ordained, in addition to those, then you have to have an internship of at least one year. You're examined on church history, sacraments, and views, uh, the views exam. And then they'll write two papers, one on okay. theology, and then one is in Texas. Mm -hmm. That's right. And languages would be a part of that if you haven't had language in seminary. If you have a seminary degree with languages, then you can waive the presbytery language exams. Um, and you are required. You don't have to have the educational requirements met for licensure, but for ordination, you have to have a, a seminary, uh, usually Master's of Divinity degree um, for that. So thank you, Mr. Chairman. <laughs> Sam. Yeah, yeah. Um, could you explain that a little and help me? Decide? Yeah. Right, so some Presbyterian Reformed denominations have are three office denominations, right? So what they do, we have, we believe there's one office of elder and one office of deacon. Um, three office churches believe that there are actually uh, three offices, and they, they see the ruling elder, they usually call them elder. The teaching elder, they call the minister, and the deacon is the deacon. So there are three offices. They actually split up what we call the elder, and they believe that biblically there's two offices there. Um, they see the minister and the elder as different, distinct biblical offices, and our URCNA friend is nodding his head, is a three-office friend. Um, uh, the OPC uh, is three-office view. The ARP, RPCNA, are they... 
They're two office view. Okay. Um, so you see different Presbyterian Reformed denominations doing slightly different things with the biblical text. Practically, it's going to work out very similarly um, because, well, I don't want to go into all that. But practically, it's the same. People have different exegetical arguments for Bible saying this or that. I can't get away from saying, look, Peter's talking to elders generally. He's, he's not exempting the, the preachers, the teachers. He's talking to all elders when he says, I exhort the elders to shepherd the flock. Um, when we see the, the qualifications there for elders, um, we don't see qualifications for ministers anywhere else separately. So to me, it seems that they're all grouped together in one office. But, you know, good minds do differ on this and different denominations come down slightly differently. I don't know if that's, you know, I, I don't want to go into a full apologetic here, but I can give you the 400-page book on that if you want. <laughs> Okay, so, so <clears throat> um, I need to clarification or something. So you said that the big P's are part of the presbytery in terms of membership. Yes. And they are ordained by the presbytery. They are uh, in a way monitored in terms of the preaching and content. Mm -hmm. The small P's right. are in a way, they could be ordained by the presbytery, but mm -hmm. they are monitored by the session, overseen by the session. Yeah. How does the presbytery surveil does the surveillance and monitoring mm. continues yeah. of the big Great question. We will come to that later. We'll come back to that. That's a great question. So how is how is actual oversight exercised? And we'll come back to that when we get to the courts in a few moments. Anything else, Elder? We have the other office of deacon, uh, which is important, uh, very important in the life of the church. Uh, office of service to both the spiritual and physical needs of the people. Um, there's not the debate uh, in our world about, is, you know, is it split up into two different things or whatnot? It's a lot more simple and streamlined. So we have the deacon, very important office. Uh, it's not an office of rule, although I do believe there's authority in the, in the office. It's not an office of ruling in the same way the elder, office of elder is. All right, offices. Let's look at the courts of the church. And so the courts, people are often like confused by this term. Why do you use the term courts? It's a, it's a formal technical term. Um, and it, it, here's the Oxford English Dictionary. An assembly of judges or other persons legally appointed and acting as a tribunal to hear and determine any cause, civil, ecclesiastical, military, or naval. Of course, naval causes have to be in there. Um, so it's, it's a group appointed to act in ecclesiastical matters. Uh, and that's what we're calling the, church, the courts of the church. And we have three levels in the PCA. The local level court is called the session. Comes from the word uh, to be seated, uh, to sit, and to sit in ruling authority. So when they're seated, they're called the session. And they are exercising authority. In the PCA, we have 1,580 congregations, 383,000 members across our denomination all across um, North America. And we have mission work overseas, but they're not technically part of, of, our, um, our, of these records and numbers. So that's the local church. Y'all are familiar with that. We talk about the session. The regional level is the presbytery, and the presbytery exercises oversight over the session, and we'll get into more of these details in just a few moments. Um, this is the presbytery, and in the PCA, we have 88 presbyteries. And then the highest level court, we say, not because it's better or more spiritual or anything like that, but they're just exercising a higher level of authority over these lower courts. Oh, Sorry, super regional level sometimes. We don't have this in the PCA. If you get large enough, you'll have synods thrown in there. Super regional, uh, uh, super regional courts. Uh, the PCUSA, for example, has uh, synods as well before you get to the general assembly. And uh, this is the whole denominational gathering. 
um, are uh, for our Continental Reform brothers. Uh, they use different language. They use it for the local instead of session. So it's like Dutch Reformed churches, if you go to one of those. This, the session is called the consistory, which I had to look this up. Uh, from Latin, it means to stand. I don't know. Do you know why that is? Why it means that? Which is different from ours, the session to be seated. I don't, I don't know. Um, so they like to stand, we like to sit. I don't know. Um, the regional level is called the classis from Latin, meaning the fleet. So it's the fleet of elders. I don't know. Um, and then the denominational, they call the synod. Um, so some, some similar language there. So those are our courts. And I think it is important to note the congregation is not technically a court of the church. But uh, the congregation does exercise important power in the church, most notably over electing those who will rule over it. So the congregation has important power to elect elders and deacons, both ruling elders and teaching elders, who will rule over it. Uh, But it's not technically a court of the church under our parlance. All right, the power of the courts. So this is getting a little bit more into your question, Manny, and so follow up if you have questions. So we're going to look at what what is each court called to do in the PCA? What's the authority and the power uh, that is given to these courts? So first we have the session, uh, and the session is made up of ruling elders and teaching elders called by the congregation. So this gets a little funky in the PCA because we have pastors, senior pastors, the BCA just calls it the pastor, the senior pastor, but we also have associate pastors and assistant pastors. Associate pastors are called by the congregation to rule and called to be a minister there and to pastor in that congregation. Assistant pastors are called by the session, not by the congregation. They're called by the session and thus they are not called by the congregation and they do not have authority to rule in the congregation. When I first came to Redeemer, I was called by the session as an assistant pastor. And then after, what, a year or so, uh, you all called me as an associate pastor. So the first year, I didn't have a seat on the session. I came and participated, and they asked me to participate, but I couldn't vote. And now that you called me to be an associate, I can vote on the session. And so on the session are ruling elders and teaching elders called by congregation. So here's what the session does. Um, again, you can go to BCO 12.5, and uh, this is, there's a lot more here. This is the Cliff Notes version. It oversees members and membership. So um, uh, it oversees anything related to members as far as uh, receiving members, transferring members, uh, dismissing members, uh, discipline, um, professions of faith, uh, anything related to members the local, the local session deals with. They also examine, ordain, install, and oversee ruling elders and deacons. Uh, So this was to Linda's question earlier. The ruling elders and deacons are overseen by the session at the local level. That's what, um, yeah, we made comments on that earlier. Uh, The session calls congregational meetings. The congregation actually doesn't even have the authority to call meetings itself. However, under BCO, you can petition the session to call a meeting. And if they refuse to do that, then you can go to Presbytery and make the Presbytery call a meeting for you, and then you can have your meeting. Um, But the the session calls meetings. Uh, The session oversees public worship or establish and oversees church ministries. I skipped that one. So anything related to ministry in the church, the session oversees oversees public worship. Anything that happens in worship, whoever's preaching, any small P preacher that they come in, or even any big P preacher that comes in, the session oversees whoever's preaching. It oversees the liturgy. It oversees everything in worship. And they can delegate that to others, to the the presiding minister, 
pastor, they can, um, or teaching elder, they can delegate that to them as we do here. Uh, pastor Wright and I, whenever we um, preach, we write the whole service and everything that, that happens in the service, that pastor has uh, prepared and planned. But the session oversees all of that. And then um, the session is also called to carry out lawful injunctions from higher courts. So if a higher court says, you did this wrong, you need to fix it, they're called to do what the presbytery told them to do. That's the session. Cliff Notes version, there's a lot more there, but um, the general scope, primarily membership, oversees ruling elders and teaching elders, and then worship and ministry in the local church. Any, any questions there? Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's up to every session. Every session will have different criteria. Um, and it will be reported to Presbytery what they did. So they have to do it in such a way that's defensible to Presbytery, um, which we'll get to in a few moments. Um, but yeah, every session will oversee who's preaching. And it's up to them to determine the, the, the parameters for what that ought to be and should be. All right, so next is the presbytery. The presbytery uh, is made up of teaching elders and two ruling elders from every congregation. So every congregation in the Ohio presbytery, which is our presbytery, can send all the teaching elders are members of the presbytery, so they get to go. And they can send two ruling elders. Now, if you have more than, I think, 350 members, you can get an additional ruling elder for every 500 members you have, blah, 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 blah. Basically, in our presbytery, you get two ruling elders because nobody's that big. Um, and so what does the presbytery do? Uh, the presbytery is a court of appeals from sessions. So if somebody has a problem with something the session did, it goes to the presbytery. Presbytery oversees these, uh, these appeals and issues that arise from sessions. It reviews session records and redresses problems at the session level. So every, every single minute recorded from our session is reviewed by presbytery. And the presbytery will say, hey, this isn't right. Or hey, you have this non-ordained, non-licensed person preaching three Sundays a month in your pulpit. That's not allowed. Because uh, once it's regular, you have to be ordained. They say, this is regular. You can't have this guy preaching so often in your pulpit. Uh, you need to bring him to presbytery so that we can license him and make sure he's got good theology. If it's a one-off, they're not going to get involved unless there's heresy or something and they can get involved then. Um, but anything the session done, does will always go up to the presbytery. They'll receive and oversee candidates for ministry. So if you want to pursue ministry, you come to the presbytery through your session and say, hey, can you take me under care and oversee my education, oversee my training? And so these candidates preparing for ministry are overseen by presbytery, even though they're still members of their local congregation. And then they, uh, the presbytery also receives, ordains, installs, removes, and judges teaching elders. So everything that was related to membership at the local level, um, the presbytery does with regard to teaching elders. So they receive them, they receive transfers, they dismiss them to other presbyteries, uh, they ordain, they install them, they, uh, they do church discipline with teaching elders. Uh, so they oversee all of the teaching elders. Um, they establish pastoral relations, which means uh, even if, um, you know, if, if the presbytery found out that I was doing something crazy, they say, this is not good for Redeemer Church. Even if you wanted me to stay, the presbytery could say, this is not good for Jason to be there. We're dissolving this relationship. He's got to go. Um, they have the authority to do that. Would they practically do that? It'd have to be really bad for them to step in and do something like that. But they could if they wanted to. All the pastoral relationships are established and dissolved by the presbytery. Yes, Danny. Um, 
So teaching elders are probably the most overlooked uh, people in the church when it comes to pastoral care. Is the Presbyterian often just about pastoral care? In theory. <laughs> <laughs> so my point's proven that they're the most overlooked. Yeah, yeah, that's right. In theory. Uh, and people often say, well, the Presbyterian is my church. Um, I don't like to say it that way. It's not your church. It's, it's the court in which your membership resides. You're not going to have the same fellowship there. Yeah, you'll have some, good, some friends there as a teaching elder, ruling elder. You'll have friends. Um, you'll have good acquaintances and relationships, people to call if you don't know what to do. That's great, but you don't have the same kind of like, you know, intimate relationship, pastoral kind of uh, discipleship relationships as you, you know, as you might have in a local church. So... Yeah, it can. It can. So they do oversee um, and encourage, oversee and encourage congregations. So that's the next one. So they could say, "Hey, you're you're cut off. You can't you can't be a PCA church anymore. You're just you're too far, you know, in this way or that way." Um, so they can excise congregations as well as teaching elders. Are you aware of it having It's a great question. Um, I'm not aware of presbyteries cutting off congregations. Uh, congregations leave. Um, for sure, and they can leave on their own. Um, but I'm not aware of presbyteries in the PCA cutting off congregations altogether. I'm sure it's happened. I don't know. Is anybody else aware of, of this happening? Not in our presbytery. Uh, I don't think it's happened here. Yeah. So coming back to the question that I had. Yeah. How, do, how does the presbytery... So my underlying assumption is that if the session doesn't have the assumed knowledge and authority to mm -hmm. judge and and in a way ordain or establish big P, mm -hmm. then hence they cannot have the same authority to monitor their performance on a daily -day basis. Yeah, yeah. So how does the presbytery monitor, say, the quality of the teaching of the big right. Do you right. have to write out every sermon and submit mm -hmm. it, and there's somebody who actually reads every sermon? Yeah. Right. So uh, the question is, how does the presbytery oversee the teaching and preaching ministry of his teaching elders? Is that right? Regular. Yeah, the regular, the ongoing. Yeah. So um, I would say you, you started with a statement that um, basically the way I interpreted pres the session doesn't have the competency to do that. And you, those weren't your words. That's my words. And I would challenge that. I do think the session has competency, theological understanding. They can do that. Now we do. I made the statement. Right. I made. I made the statement earlier that the set, the presbytery, we can pull their resources to maybe do this in a more efficient, better manner. Because you might have a session somewhere out here that doesn't really have the same theological understanding of, say, our session. Our session is very well um, educated and 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 uh, wonderfully. Uh, equipped for this. Not all sessions are. So we would say generally, you know, it's better to ordain them at the presbytery. Uh, so that's why we do that. Um, but I do think the session is called upon to do that, first and foremost. The session is called upon to make sure the preaching and teaching is faithful. And it's their job to encourage, to, to um, push back, to make sure that's happening. If there's a real problem, though, the, the session or the presbytery is not actively listening to my sermons. The, the presbytery is not actively ma making me submit theological papers. You know, what's going on? What are you thinking about? They're not doing that. They're relying on people to come to them if there's problems. Whether it's you, you say, hey, Jason's teaching heresy. You need to go to the presbytery and tell them that so they can look into it. Uh, or the session can go to presbytery and say, this guy won't stop. We've told him we don't, really, we don't like how he talks about this issue. Uh, he's not stopping. So he, they take it to the presbytery. So the presbytery is going to rely on the local congregation to bring those red flags to them. They're not overseeing on a daily, weekly basis that local ministry. So, so I agree. I, mean, I personally believe that, and I think that's what the Bible teaches. But mm -hmm. that's why it, 
it is contradictory to me that the session cannot appoint right. big teams sure. from the beginning. Sure. Because otherwise. It, it doesn't seem that it's consistent. Yeah, and so that's a, I don't think it's a wrong thing to say that the session can ordain teaching elders. Uh, we don't do it in the PCA, and we have uh, many reasons, I listed one, many reasons why we don't do that, why we think it's better that their memberships at Presbytery. Um, I don't want to go into all that today, but I, that's a valid position, and I think the point's well taken. Ernie. Jason, uh, if somebody in the congregation did have a problem with the teaching from the moment, wouldn't their first step be to go to session? Yeah. I, I think so, practically, yeah. I, I don't think you should, should go straight to Presbytery. Um, if you go to the session and the session's like, ah, it doesn't matter, no big deal. Yeah, go to Presbytery at that point. Yeah, you don't have to go to the session before you go to Presbytery, but I think um, prudence and wisdom dictates you ought to. I think that's a good point, Ernie. Yeah, thank you. Um, let's see. So the Presbytery also, so overseas encouraged congregations and church planting. So Presbytery is involved in that, and then um, proposing helpful measures to the General Assembly. So they send up requests to General Assembly to do certain things. Um, and I, so I will say, before we get to the General Assembly, um, May 7th, mark your calendar, uh, we are having Presbytery here at Redeemer Church. It's a Saturday. We'll have a nine o'clock worship service. We'll have a lunch. And my hope and plan is that, you know, if you want to come, we'll have an RSVP and you can get lunch for free and all that kind of stuff. And you can see some of this in action. I love it when church members come to Presbytery to see what's going on. Um, it really is important for you to see, hey, here are the other churches that we're in fellowship with, close fellowship with. Here are the other ministers. Here's other church members. Uh, church members from all kinds of churches will show up from time to time. And I think it's so helpful for you to see, to see a floor exam. We should have a floor exam for licensure at least in May, uh, I believe, right? Right, Mark? We will. We, great, we will, our chairman says. And, uh, and to see those kinds of things, to see how business is done, I think it's a really helpful thing. And so I highly encourage you, mark your calendars for May 7. You'll be hearing more. There's my uh, pitch for the hour. Um, and then General Assembly. So who goes to General Assembly? All teaching elders. And then again, each congregation can send two teaching elders or two ruling elders. Yes, Sam. Other than submitting, um, submitting annual or submitting your minutes, and hopefully in there you'll have your financial financial statements. Um, no, there's not direct um, involvement in those matters by the presbytery. And again, I think that's a matter of, of prudence. Should we do it? Maybe. So you can write an, what we call an overture to the General Assembly to have them put that in our book of church order. So I'll have you do that, Sam. Mark. Oh, okay. We'll start with John. Yeah, great question. It's uh, called the Ohio Presbytery, people like to say. Um, and it, I should have had a map on here. Great question. Uh, it basically, so if you have the Ohio here, Columbus in the middle, it's basically bisected uh, from northwest to southeast, and then Columbus is removed. Columbus is its own presbytery. This, this quadrant, or this half, is... Uh, Ohio Valley, and we're the Ohio Presbytery. So basically, north and west, or north and east Ohio is us. Uh, Sam's question, I mean, this area of uh, financial stewardship is an area where members, if they had a problem with yeah, session, that's right. you know, it would be very appropriate. That's right. 
Exactly. No, that, that's exactly right. And there are certain committees of the General Assembly, and Presbytery could do this as well, where actually they have deacons serve on them for financial stewardship committees and things like that. And so deacons are involved in these courts. I don't think our Presbytery does that at this point, but I think it'd be something to consider. Mark? I was just going to say, the, within the minutes, you would have the budget. Yeah. I think probably more importantly, where I've seen this at Presbytery is during a change of call, mm -hmm. um, the pastor's yeah. compensation package would come before the floor. Right, and right. I've seen it on a couple of occasions where the uh, body encouraged the congregation to pay their pastor more uh, so they yeah. were free of any earthly concern. Yeah, that's right. Good. Yeah, that's a really good point because they do approve the calls, which includes the financial package for the teaching elders. So they make sure they're they're taken care of. Yeah, um, great question. So every meeting is going to change. Um, who's going to the May Presbytery meeting from our session? Ernie and Mark. Um, and then General Assembly this summer, it's Ernie and Ray, I believe, right? Going to General Assembly and then Scott and I. It can be different every time. Yep. Yep. Um, so General Assembly, they oversee everything. Uh, Court of Appeals from Presbyteries encourage church health and growth. They set up Presbyteries, and they begin the process of changing our Book of Church Order and the Westminster Standards. They've never changed Westminster Standards, but that's where you would start if you wanted to do it. Um, the General Assembly works primarily through committees and agencies. I'm not going to go through this, but we have um, these committees that... Committee on Discipleship, they do our Sunday school materials, or they work with the, they, they oversee our Sunday school materials and publishing. Mission North America's church planning, Mission of the World is uh, missions overseas. RUF is campus ministry. We have a uh, denominational college and seminary. Uh, the PCA Foundation helps with charitable giving. If you want to give a lot of money to the PCA, you can talk to them. Um, our PCA RBI, Retirements and Benefits Incorporated, uh, they help churches with benefits for the pastors and retirement, all that kind of stuff. On and on and on. These are all these committees. So they do work through these committees primarily. Uh, I don't want to go through that. I want to go quickly. In the last few minutes, we have a review of lower courts, and I have a whole thing on church discipline process, but we're not going to get there. Um, so review of lower courts. I want to just hit on these things before we leave. Um, so how is it practically that the Presbytery sees what's happening at Redeemer and might get involved? What, what would trigger the Presbytery being involved at Redeemer? Um, so one is general review and control, review of session records. And this is where, again, they read our records, and if something is awry, they're going to call it out, and they'd make us uh, first uh, respond in writing, and if that doesn't work out well, then we'll have to appear and argue our case before the presbytery why we're right, and uh, ultimately they could cite us, and ultimately they could cut us off from the PCA if, if what we're doing is unconstitutional and we refuse to change. So general review and control. Everything we do as a session, we have to do with the mindset that this is going to be reviewed by Presbytery. And that's good. That's good for everybody because we can't go rogue. We can't just say, ah, you know, BCA doesn't really matter. Let's just do it this way. This is faster. This is easier. No, everything we do, we have to make sure it's done the right way because we know it's going to be reviewed by the Presbytery. Very important. Very, very important. A second way uh, lower, uh, higher courts get involved with lower courts, this is called a reference. Um, and what this is, is when a lower court has an issue and they say, Poof, we're stuck. 
We don't know what to do. They can send it up to Presbytery, and the Presbytery can handle that issue for them, or at least give advice, or they can actually conclude the matter for them. So if, there, if there's a, a really divisive church discipline case in our session, was like, we can't do this. We just aren't able. Um, we're divided. We whatever. Um, we can ask Presbytery to do that case for us instead of us doing it as a session. Uh, complaint. This is where anyone subject to the jurisdiction of the lower court, uh, they can make a written representation to the higher court that the lower court is aired. So what that means is if uh, Brandon thinks that our session is, um, has done something egregiously wrong or just wrong, something unbiblical, something against our constitution, what he can do, he can write it out. I believe you are wrong for X, Y, and Z. First, he has to give it to our session have us, give us the opportunity to change course if, if he's correct. But if we say, no, you're wrong, we're right, then he takes that to presbytery and it's a full judicial hearing. The, the, Brandon appears to argue his case. The session has to appear to argue its case. And the presbytery gets involved in this dispute. It's a very formal process, but it's an important process because oftentimes if, if these things aren't happening, the presbytery doesn't know that there's conflict, that there's a problem. So complaints are good. It is good to file complaints. Uh, and I, I spoke at, um, I gave the charge to the congregation at Trinity when they particularized last February, so a little over a year ago. And I called, the, uh, called upon them to use their BCO and file complaints. Well, again, to Ernie's point, talk, talk to people first, right? Don't just file complaints all the time. Um, but get the presbytery involved. We want the presbytery involved. If we're wrong, we don't have a vested interest in being wrong. We want to be right. We want to do things the right way. And so get, follow the process of complaints. It's not a personal attack. It's not people mad at each other. This is our system of getting other people, if there's a dispute, getting other people involved. So file complaints. This is important. Um, and then appeals. So after a judicial process has gone through, we've convicted somebody, you've sinned, you can't take the Lord's Supper until you repent. Uh, they can appeal that. They say, no, I didn't sin. You were wrong. I didn't do that. You went through the process wrong. The facts don't show that I did these things. Um, you can appeal that to Presbytery, and Presbytery can say, yes, Session, you were wrong. You shouldn't have done that. This person um, is, you know, that judgment is vacated. So there's the appeal. Um, and then there's assistance. If you have concerns, there's our pastoral care committee of our Presbytery that has more informal advice. They can be mediators. They can help work out relational issues. Um, and they're there for us in that regard. Um, so this is how we get things up to the higher court, how the higher court, the presbytery, reviews what's going on at Redeemer. Um, and again, I have this wonderful slideshow for church discipline process. We won't get to talk about it today, unfortunately. If you want to talk about it, I'll tell you. If it ever gets there, though, it's an, it's a, it's a, feels like a tedious process, but it's important because it's um, protecting the rights of the accused, the person being accused of sin, and it also protects the session as well. But they want to make sure we're not running over people, railroading, steamrolling, whatever the word is, uh, people, who, um, people being destroyed by church discipline. Um, and so there's an appeal process to have that reviewed and reversed if warranted. So um, there's a lot there and we are over. So uh, any burning question or anything I need to need to say? Yes. It's Yep. So uh, you, anybody can complain. Um, any member of the church can complain against the session. Um, and 
Uh, it gets a little more complicated if you have like an assistant pastor. Does he have standing? Because he's, anyway, blah, blah, blah. Um, yes, any member of the church can complain. Um, appeal, you can only appeal if you are the one who's, who church discipline has been enacted upon. If you have received a judgment or censure from the congregation or from the session, then you can appeal only. Um, so, and the same with presbytery. We can complain. Teaching elders can complain. If it's related to you, you can complain against presbytery uh, as well and take that up to the general assembly. All right, uh, Manny, last last one. How does the presbytery get funded? So, how much money? Yeah. Payers go to fund all this administration. Right. So, um, this. Honestly, uh, we do general review. We don't have complaints or appeals that come up to our presbytery often, very often because we're a small presbytery as far as churches. I think we have nine churches. So we don't, we don't frankly, our, church, our presbytery doesn't know how to do judicial stuff. I don't talk about this. I'm talking about oh. the whole Oh, the whole thing, yeah. So basically, they ask for a certain dollar per communicant member. Um, and they give money to, the big things are church planning and RUF. Those are the two big things they do. They don't have much administrative costs. We don't have a building. We don't have an office. We don't do anything like that. So um, it's mostly church planning and, um, and, and RUF. Um, does anybody remember, what's that dollar, like 40-some dollars a communicant member? Yeah, Is that right? About $48. $48 a communicant member per year is what Presbytery asks for and what they expect from everybody in our Presbytery. So that's what we give. And, and um, yeah. Good question. All right. Uh, fun stuff. I would love to talk more, uh, but we got to stop. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for um, the order that you have uh, uh, given to the church. And we pray that we would be wise uh, in, in, um, in how we conduct the affairs of the church. We, de- we, we desire nothing more than the glory of Christ to be displayed and that every member would be built up and grow in Christ. So help us with these things and may the government of the church Uh, increase uh, or grow us towards these ends and assist us to glorify and honor you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.com.